Financial analysis and underwriting is a absolutely critical skill for syndicators and fund managers to know like the back of their hand. I used to coach people on how to syndicate real estate in a program that I used to have. Today, we're gonna take a look back and we're gonna go back to one of what I would call a rapid implementation call. It was taking that information that I have, that background and experience I have, and putting it to use and making it available to the people uh, who I was coaching through the process. So this is an excerpt out of one of those calls. It's a deep dive into the machinery itself. How the gears fit together is primarily also between the facts and assumptions and how they all work as part of this big machine in order to generate money to pay for investors. I hope you find it useful. So financial analysis is the process of evaluating business uh, businesses, projects, budgets, and other finance-related transactions to determine their performance and suitability. Now, obviously, that's what we're mostly concerned about right now. So this is the, you know, making, see, it's that evaluating piece that really is what we're trying to do, trying to identify if this is something we want to do, if this is something that makes sense. Uh, so it's the that evaluation that we're doing. But at the same time, as syndicators, I would say we also do this uh, underwriting piece as well, because underwriting is to, to finance or otherwise support or guarantee something. So I would argue that as syndicators, we are basically uh, supporting that uh, the overall thing. When we come up with our projections that we're putting in our PPM, we are actually saying, you know, this is what we are putting our name behind and putting our reputation on. So to me, that is underwriting. I think it's just important just to set a framework that we that we talk about them in the same thing. And I probably will keep saying them synonymously as well anyway, because I'm it's habit. Uh, they aren't actually the same thing. Um, so you may want to call it out to when you when you're talking to investors it's probably better to say financial analysis because that does kind of cover uh, your underwriting as well um and because if somebody's a stickler for those definitions they may call you on it uh and i fortunately haven't been yet but i could be so uh what are we doing when we are doing financial analysis there's two phases uh, to this. So the first, oops, the first phase is we are taking a snapshot in time. As of now, what does that property look like? So what are its characteristics? So if we look at all the things as, uh, let's put, do it this way. Let's, if we look at all of the things that go into the bucket of the financial analysis, we've got the most important thing for the, the now analysis is fact. 
We're trying to say these are the facts about the property right now. And we're going to go into those in a little bit more detail. Uh, but that's the, the main thing that we're trying to do today. And then much smaller than that, that impacts how we look at that, at, that changes this picture that we're taking with this camera is our assumptions. And I write it small because it's just, they're not as big or important at this now stage. But what are we trying to do when we're trying to do uh, an analysis and build projections or a performa, which I really consider to be the same thing? We're trying to set up something for the future. That's supposed to be a clock, in case you can't tell. And that other one's supposed to be a camera. And so we're trying to say, what is it going to be in the future? Now, oops, I was going to draw a cloud, but I'm drawing a bucket. When we are looking to the future of what this looks like, the facts that we have aren't very, uh, become much less important because time erodes all those things. Leases start expiring and maybe they'll renew and maybe they won't. Taxes may go up or they may come down. Well, they don't really go down, but they taxes may go up or they may go up a lot. Uh, and it's our assumptions that start ruling the day. And I'm gonna run out of room. Uh, assumptions start ruling the day. So we go from big fact to little fact and little assumption to big assumptions. And these are what's changes. Now, the further you go out, the bigger this effect is because you know, you're going to have to make more and more assumptions. And the more and more things change, the more and more those assumptions that you made in the very beginning uh, will do it. And so this process is building your proforma. The reason we are even talking about this right now is because it's important to have in your head that the either the pro certainly the proformas that you get from other people, but even the proformas that you get from yourself, that you're doing yourself uh, for your own investments, there's there's two ways of looking at, at that pro forma and how and how you're going to use those assumptions. You have a, a way that is, um, I would call it, uh, let's call it optimistic. And then we'll call it, I don't really want to use pessimistic, I'll say conservative. Um, so they're either optimistic or conservative. Uh, so, because that's generally the terms that we use in the industry, we don't generally say pessimistic. So we can use assumptions that are very optimistic 
and they're still true and based in have a foundation for choosing them but they're not they're not the most necessarily the most likely to happen because when you're predicting the future i mean there's obviously a huge range between you know from something like you know very likely to happy happen to unlikely to happen and they probably go on some sort of bell curve into how they actually play out and so if this is our bell curve our optimistic is probably at this end of the spectrum and our our conservative is probably at this end of the spectrum so they're just they are like they are within that bounds of likely uh, but not they're not uh, they're on opposite ends of each other you wouldn't want to go all the way to this end and be so optimistic that you're predicting that you know you're going to uh, 10x your 10x the the rents every year for the next 50 years because uh, that's never going to happen but you also don't want to predict that the moon is going to fly into the building and destroy it and melt it all down and it won't be an insured loss uh both of them i suppose could happen in some in some world uh just not very likely ours so let's go through kind of how this range happens between a uh, fact and assumption and i'm going to erase this ease and we start with the facts on this side and we start with the assumptions on this thing, because that's really what they come out of. They come out of each other. So facts for the for any property. Uh, somebody want to name a fact? Go for it. What's what's a fact? Size. Size. Great. Yeah, it's going to be a certain size. Uh, absolutely. Maybe you have plans on growing it, but that's an assumption whether that's going to get approved. What else? Price. Uh, well, uh, I think lot size. I think well, yeah, certainly lot sizes. I don't think price is a is a is a. Uh, I don't think price is a is a is a fact. It's not done yet. You know what they're asking, but you don't know what they're actually going to get or what it's going to be at the end of the day. So I think it's still a little bit gray. Yes, they are. Sure. It stands for floor area ratio. Uh, uh, so there's uh, size. I'm going to put location here because it's kind of a big topic, right? Um, so we have existing tenants, right? They They exist. They're in your building, um, and that's not going to change, that they are in the building at the moment that you're taking that snapshot. What you don't know is whether, um, uh, well, let's start with what the rental amount. So we don't know what their, their rent, uh, let's see. You don't necessarily know what their rent is going to be rent next year if they are on CPI. And oops, if on, so, and we'll talk about that more 
probably not in this call, but in another call. But if their rental increases are are pegged to something like the consumer price index, you don't know what consumer price index is going to be. You probably are using a figure like 2% or something to figure it out, but it's an assumption that you're making. You don't know what the default rate is going to be. You don't know if those tenants are going to default on the on their lease or not, or if they're uh, what kind of credit risk they are. They, uh, you know that they're in existence, but you don't know the likelihood of that actually happening. So there is a chance that's going to happen, and that percentage that you apply is a question mark. You don't know the likelihood of renewal. It's a guess that you're going to make. Uh, so other facts that you know. Uh, demographics. Sure. Demographics at the given time is uh, is absolutely there. But you, you don't know in the next 10 years if, you know, is it growing? Is it shrinking? Something can happen. Uh, is it gentrifying or not? So I'm going to put it over here, too. Because the demographics in the future, you're going to you're going to make uh, you're going to make some guesses on, and those all have an impact on ultimately your your market, uh, and maybe it's going to be your. It might be how your your market sees it in the community. So maybe it would change your cap rate, or maybe it's going to change your rents. Um, but certainly, demographics and the, how they change is going to have a pretty profound impact on. What your property is going to do. Uh, you've got operating expenses. Now, you've got operating expenses that are historical, but you don't know what they're going to necessarily be in the future. Uh, let's take property tax. Uh, so, we uh, in California, we have a more set system, but we're very much in the minority uh, in the way we do things. Uh, most of the country has uh, has what uh, the assessed value is going to be, and then it can that assessed value can change. It can go up or it can go down. Um, and similar in California, you know, there's there is still ambiguity here. Prop 13 could go away. Um, as was on the last uh, election, was to move prop thir- to eliminate prop 13 for um, uh, for commercial buildings. It didn't pass, but it could have made it so that it was also assessed value for commercial buildings. So it's not a it's it's an assumption that you're going to make whether it's going to stay or not. Now you probably are going to assume it, um, but it's still in that realm. Uh, you have a management company. But you don't know if they're going to continue or raise rates. Uh, you don't know whether, I mean, if you're doing it yourself, you don't know whether your costs of doing the management are going to go up. So make it so that you're going to need to change your, your management fee or not. Uh, utilities is a huge one. So, so I'm going to put these together, actually. Uh, utilities, contract labor, 
and by this I mean things like your garden, portage, uh, pest control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyone that you're hiring that isn't part of your regular workforce um, is contract labor. And then we'll put repairs and maintenance. So all three of these, uh, you are going to guess on what the growth rate is going to be. Most of the time, I'm guessing it's going to be 2%, but that's probably a little bit uh, on the optimistic side, because I want that expense to be less, um, where 3% would probably be more conservative. Uh, certainly on utilities in California, uh, guessing on a, a low growth rate of 2% is probably very optimistic. Um, then we've got a whole nother category of your market leasing. And your market leasing is something, is a fact that what it does exist is your, your market and historical um, terms, your uh, market and historical rents, uh, the how long it takes to, to turn it, and commission amounts, things like that. So, I mean, all of these things can change because you have no idea what the future terms are going to be. You have no idea what future rents are going to be. You have no idea how long it's going to sit on the market. Um, you don't know if commissions, uh, if those greedy brokers are going to start demanding more commissions or not. Uh, and uh, and if you're doing your own commission, uh, I mean, if you're doing the leasing on the property yourself, you still don't necessarily know what you're going to charge uh, because you may want to charge the other side it. Um, and it's we're looking at at all of this through the lens of really the whole investment itself, not just you know your pocket obviously, but but building out projections for your investors. So each one of these things. Um, you know, put as, as an impact. Uh, and then capital expenses, obviously. Uh, who knows, right? Who knows what's going to happen when that HVAC system may explode and uh, suddenly you need to replace it. Um, the roof may suddenly cave in and you need to replace it. Uh, something can happen. You're making an assumption on, well, I think this is going to need to be replaced or be repaired at this point in time, but you don't know. And so those all go into your pro forma. So again, the reason that we're talking about it here and in this context is because all of these things are part of your that snapshot that you're taking right now. But to build out a pro forma, those are all assumptions that become the overriding thing to that drive your 
your number at the end of the day. They're very, it's very easy to make a property look stellar and it's very easy for a property to look horrible all in how you're painting the picture of it. And it's really up to you to decide, you know, oops, oh, it's a terrible drawing. It's up for you to decide you know, where on the bell curve you are going to put those assumptions. I mean, if you're going to put them here or here or here or here, whatever, it's up to you to make that decision. And when you do make that decision, just know that you're making that decision. This is the same reason that a you know a sophisticated REIT doesn't just uh, won't take a broker's pro forma because they know that it's always going to be over here that the broker is going to be painting their assumptions and they're being much more conservative on what their projections are. So they don't want to see it. It's not even worth their time because they want, they've got their own assumptions that they've decided are, are what they're going to base everything off of. And it would also behoove you to act in a similar manner. Start figuring out what your assumptions are going to be about what things you do. I mean, likelihood of renewal, you know, is how, let's see, how do I do this? So um, a CPI, I always set at 2%. It's in general around there over the past 20 years. Uh, default uh, rate, somewhere between 5%, 10% if we are talking um, in a generally normally affluent area. Uh, likelihood of renewal is really up to the tenant. It's more of a feel thing. Uh, it's somewhere between 50% to 90%, maybe 95 if you're really, really comfortable. Uh, demographics, uh, I mean, you're probably paying attention to demographics as it went in and whether you thought it was uh, you know, an area that's gentrifying, you're probably more likely to be interested in it. Whereas if it's an area that you think is going to go downhill and you think it's going to uh, to tank, I don't think you're going to be putting investor money there. Uh, your property taxes, you're going to be doing based on uh, either kind of figuring out where you were historical for assessed value, or if you're in California, you're using 2% because that's what Prop 13 says the maximum rate is. Um, for management, you're probably going to keep it consistent. Uh, for the growth rate, I tend to use 2%. Um, for, for these, if I'm making a projection for what I'm going to tell investors, 2% is a reasonable rate, uh, but it is uh, probably a little bit optimistic, certainly when it comes to things like utilities. Um, market leasing assumptions. Now, here's where you probably are going to base things mostly on, on history. So, unless you've got a great deal of familiarity in the market and kind of have a feel for where everything should go, you'll probably pull a bunch of lease comps or ask other agents for lease comps and base everything around that. And then your capital expenses, you're going to be relying on your, uh, your inspectors, your property managers, you know, people who have that industry knowledge who can say, well, you've probably got another seven years left in this roof. Um, and then you'll 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 figure that in. Uh, so I'm going to pause here. Do, are there any questions on this part so far? Is no. this, okay, good. 
was this was this this was was this too fast or was it a good pace or was it too slow? I think I pretty much got that part. Okay, good. Alejandro, Anthony. I'm good to go. Okay, good. Was it a good pace? Was it a good pace, Anthony? Heck yeah. Okay, good. Heck yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, all right. So you take a sip. All right. Now, the next part I want to talk about, and this probably is going to be kind of review, but I want it to be, uh, it, it all kind of builds on itself. So this is the way that I, let me see. This, see, look at that. We've even got a little diagram built in and ready to go. This is the way that I see the very basic uh, calculation of, of how cap rate works. Um, so, and I'm going through my vision of it because I think the way I see it kind of sets up how IRR works better and it isn't exactly the same way that they teach in, in the real estate courses, et cetera. So at some point in time, you buy this machine, call it machine, which is the property. And you paid cash for this machine. Uh, and so that is your cost. So we've got, we've got a series of gears that are all kind of going together. Now, this gear is turning around. This is your, uh, this can be thought of as your income. It's a nice big gear. They go in opposite directions because they're gears. Uh, this gear is your expenses. Actually, I, well, let's just call it expenses because I don't want to get too confusing. And then out of that comes your, and we'll have it go all the way out. That comes out your cash flow. Or in this case, let's actually, that will be a little bit more confusing. So let's say that this is your, um, so we're, this will be operating expenses just because we're going to call this the outcomes, your NOI. So now automatically in our machine, we've got everything we need in order to calculate our, you know, where, what our cap rate is. And the cap rate, is just all it is. It's just a performance metric. It's just a performance metric of how that machine runs. And so it's just simply the, the NOI over your cost is your, you know, going in cap rate. Uh, for the building and it's, uh, but all it really does, it doesn't mean anything more than just a simple uh, performance metric. 
to give you an idea of, of how this thing works. So as things change over time, you know, as, as income goes up, as hopefully expenses come down, your NOI is going up. And then for that same cost, your cap rate's going up. Now, if it costs you more, obviously, then it's going to be, be degraded. So I put it in that context just to set the frame for how, um, how the uh, cap rate works. Hope you found that blast from the past useful. My name is Tilda Moschetti. I am a syndication attorney with the Moschetti Syndication Law Group. Now, if we can help you put together a Regulation D, Rule 506B or 506C offering, don't hesitate to give us a call. Whether you're doing a business that you're raising capital for, buying real estate, buying, putting together a real estate fund or a private equity fund, or you're a developer and developing real estate, need extra capital, we're the people to call.